you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card member, you'll know a thing or two about an expertly packed capsule wardrobe that balances business and leisure. So you can go from conference sleek to cocktail party chic with a few new accessories. You can hustle from 9 to 5 before exploring with ease from 5 to 9. Because you're the chief excursion officer. The Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card. If you travel, you know. Learn more at go.amex slash you know business. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, we're back. Welcome to another episode of The Savvy Psychologist. I'm your host, Dr. Ellen Hendrickson, and every week, I'll help you meet life's challenges with evidence-based research, a sympathetic ear, and zero judgment. Today, we are lucky to have with us one of the premier journalists on addiction, drugs, and neuroscience, author Maya Salovitz. And you've likely read her work in the New York Times, Scientific American, Salon, the Washington Post, or more national outlets than I can even name. She's written six books and is just out with her seventh, titled Unbroken Brain, A Revolutionary New Way of Understanding Addiction. I read it, and I learned something new on every page. Maya Salovitz joins us from her New York City office. Maya, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Sure, we're happy to talk to you. So the subtitle of your book is A Revolutionary New Way of Understanding Addiction. And it really is. So the the current way of thinking about addiction is the disease model. So addiction as a progressive brain disease. But you offer this radically different view. You see addiction as a learning disorder. So walk us through that if you can. Sure, sure. So, I mean, if you think about it on a very fundamental level, addiction has to involve learning because if you don't learn that the drug makes you feel better and you know does something that helps you cope you will not be able to crave it <laughs> so in that sense it's very simple you have to learn to love the drug and for example there are people who go to the hospital and have uh, opioids for pain they come out of the hospital they have the flu they don't realize they've just been through opioid withdrawal. And so they don't suddenly discover like, oh, I just have this feeling I'd like to start buying heroin now because they don't know what to create. Sure. So that's one of the more simple aspects of it. More complicatedly, learning is something that happens throughout life and it changes the course of your development. So when you start drugs, usually this happens in adolescence or early adulthood. And that is a time of intense brain development. And what's kind of going on at that time is the areas of your brain that are going to be used for love and parenting are kind of getting geared up. And this is happening, of course, long before the areas that are there to teach self-control and calmness are ready. So that's a conflict in itself that happens to all teenagers, whether or not they get into drugs. But um, during this time, 90% of all addictions start. 
And that's very similar to the way other developmental disorders, such as schizophrenia or autism or ADHD, they have a characteristic time when they come on. And they also affect a very specific kind of learning. With addiction, what basically happens is you fall in love with a drug rather than a person. And what that means is that you will persist in pursuing this drug despite negative consequences. So it's a disorder of punishment learning, which is kind of ironic because we keep trying to use punishment to deal with addiction when, in fact, if punishment worked to fight addiction, the problem wouldn't exist. So those are some of the fundamentals of the idea of seeing it as a learning disorder. And I should stress that I did not come up with this idea. There were lots and lots and lots of scientists who have framed addiction this way for a really long time. It's just that in the public dialogue, it has always been the disease, the disease, the disease, and not very much about what that actually means. Right. And so you you mentioned that most addictions start in adolescence. And so here's a two-part question. So in the book, so you point out that most people addicted to substances simply grow out of it as well. And so tell us more about that phenomenon, both in terms of epidemiology, so you know, growing out of addiction over a population, right. but also in terms of brain development, like what actually happens in the adolescent or early adult brain that helps somebody grow out of it. Right, right. So basically, in terms of the epidemiology, it's kind of amazing because half of all addictions, except for tobacco, end by age 30. Wow. And, you know, like everybody thinks, oh, it's so hopeless. Nobody ever gets better. That's actually not the case in the vast majority of cases. Unfortunately, the people that we see and hear from when we talk and think about addiction tend to be the people with the most severe cases. And those are the ones who unfortunately are the least likely to age out of it. And so they go through multiple rehabs and all kinds of terrible experiences because they have, you know, a much more severe form of addiction. But what's really weird is that there's lots of people who at age 20 or 21 fit all the DSM criteria for what is now known as severe substance use disorder. And yet, you know, two years later, they don't fit the criteria. And so what's going on there? What tends to happen is basically two things. One is sort of psychological and social, and the other is just about the brain. In terms of the brain, when you hit 23, 24, 25, the frontal cortex is finally in good shape. It finally has the ability to put the brakes on those pleasure-seeking lower brain regions that are, you know, driving teenagers to do the things that make parents crazy. So before that, you really don't have maximal ability to control yourself. And that would especially be the case in terms of, you know, drug use. So just the development of that area allows it to be much more possible for you to stop. The other thing that's going on is sort of social and psychological, which is you are maybe you graduated college and now like you have a job so you can drink all night and get away with it. Maybe you found a relationship and she just won't tolerate that. There's sort of life stage things that tend to get people into a life that is structured and purposeful. 
And having a structured, purposeful life is a really good antidote to addiction. The other thing is sometimes people move, they move away from the friends that they're involved in with the drugs, but it's all a kind of process of maturation, basically. And whether that's maturation in terms of the life course or in terms of your actual prefrontal cortex, it sounds like it all coalesces around the same time. Yeah, that's that's really what seems to happen. And I mean, for me personally, I got into recovery when I was 23. And it's hard to know if sort of the insight I had that let me realize that, oh my God, I've got to stop this. I was able to act on that because I suddenly was able to have better control or whether it was inside, it's really kind of impossible to know. But I, it was at 23, which is a pretty classic cortex developing age. <laughs> BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home, the place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo Fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And so that's actually a perfect segue because the, the thing that makes this book so compelling is your personal experience of addiction. And there are some astounding scenes just throughout the entire book. So Jerry Garcia offers you your first line of cocaine. There's this dark glamour of dealing cocaine in the New York nightclubs in the 1980s. There's this harrowing scene where like, you go through inpatient detox and your weight goes down to 80 pounds. What was it like for you to relive these experiences enough to write them down and share them with readers? Well, actually, it was a lot harder than I expected. When I started on this project, I thought, oh, this will be great. I don't have to do any reporting. I know my own story. I will just go back and, and write it. I had actually done a lot of books where I co-authored and sort of took people through their reasonably, or in some cases, extremely traumatic childhoods. And that had been, I wouldn't say easy, but since it wasn't my trauma, it wasn't that hard to deal with. Um, but when I did do it for myself, it was much, much more difficult. And I, you know, I really found myself struggling thinking about how crazy some of the stuff I did was and how lucky I am to be here now and how differently my brain works now than it did at that time. But the emotion really hit me a lot more strongly because one of the things that you know made me into an addict was 
an enormous level of self-hatred. I thought I was a horrible, bad, evil person because I didn't realize that the characteristics that I had were more uh, to do with temperament than to do with something evil about me. And so once I realized, oh, like you're sort of socially awkward and you are oversensitive to stimuli, and that sounds quite a lot like Asperger's, and I know lots of people with that who are not horrible, bad people, that allowed me to get out of that self-hatred, but going back into it, it's harrowing, and that's what really did make me want to use drugs. I did not have any strong particular urges, thankfully, in writing this, but that can certainly happen. I mean, it's been long enough for me that one of the other issues was really just making sure I was remembering things accurately. But I had written an account of this in my 20s, so I could go back to that. And it was kind of interesting to see how my views on some things had changed and how some of them had remained exactly the same. Yeah, I can't imagine it, like going back and reading your journal from many years ago and, and just saying, wow, I can't believe that was the same person. Or Yeah. Yeah, it, I'm sure it seems like somebody, somebody you, you don't even know anymore. No, it's, I mean, it's really, and I did have a few journals from my active addiction and yeah, it's just like, wow. I mean, there's the usual embarrassment over your youthful self. Right. Um, <laughs> and the worst writing that occurs at that time. But um, the, that was definitely compounded. And it was just very sad because, you know, I wish I could have, you know, sort of told myself that I didn't have to do those terrible things to myself. Mm. Well, Maya, thank you so much for being here today. This is, it was really fascinating to talk to you. So the, your book equally reads like a, a thriller. So I you know, kept turning the pages, wanting to see you know, where you took us next. Um, and it's also some of the most in-depth science reporting I've ever read. So it was a treat to talk to you and I wish you nothing but the best with the book. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Maya Salovitz's latest book is Unbroken Brain, A Revolutionary New Way of Understanding Addiction. It can be yours by checking out your local bookstore, online, or anywhere else books are sold. If you learned something from today's episode, show your support by picking up a copy of Unbroken Brain, checking out the Savvy Psychologist podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify, or liking on Facebook. As always, thank you so much for listening. I'm Dr. Ellen Hendrickson, and show notes for this and every other episode are always available on quickanddirtytips.com slash savvy hyphen psychologist. The Savvy Psychologist is strictly for informational purposes and doesn't substitute for mental health care from a licensed professional. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next week for a happier, healthier mind. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.